Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network, a station dedicated to the concept that all manifestations of the divine are equally valid. Join Reverend Terry Power HP, Robin McKean, and all the hosts for programming covering a wide range of spiritual topics right here on Blog Talk Radio. www.dnny.info 
I'm going to repeat it, dnny.info, I-N-F-O. Uh, and just type in your email address uh, and click to send. You will be shortly connected with our group, and you'll be getting emails just about every day on these cutting-edge subjects. And many hundreds of people have already signed on for this service. Uh, let's get right to it, Mary Jo. Please tell our listeners what tonight's program is about. More than 50 million jobs are predicted to be lost due to artificial intelligence or AI. Experts are saying the job loss from AI will be much worse than the Great Depression. We've all seen how computer automation eliminates jobs. Checkout clerks at supermarkets and toll booth operators are two examples. We now have touch screens and scanners in supermarkets for customers to check out themselves and easy pass at toll booths. Artificial intelligence is different. It's computer automation that relies on massive amounts of data. It's computer decision-making accomplished with data analysis. Artificial intelligence cannot run without data. There are also three types, weak, general, and super intelligent that learns on its own. Let's talk about an example. In November 2018, CVS bought Aetna Insurance for the company's data. CVS plans to use artificial intelligence in the company's 9,800 pharmacies and 1,100 minute clinics. Companies have been lured into the direction of AI because they've been promised a 35% increase in profitability. Most people know how businesses increase profitability, reduce costs or raise prices or both. Eliminating humans would reduce costs, and we have been on our present inflation curve since 1913. Hmm. Companies that understand artificial intelligence technology will be shopping for companies that have data. If these sales are blocked, artificial intelligence can be blocked. Experts are saying we are presently in a rapid first wave that will result in huge job losses until 2025, and then by 2030, there will be very few conventional jobs for humans. What I think they mean is the companies with data will already be purchased. People who can afford to buy personal robots should be careful because I believe this type of bot is designed to collect personal data needed for artificial intelligence. A company called Temi, T-E-M-I, makes robots for industry as well as robots for the home. Go to the company's website, robotemi.com, and watch the sales video labeled personal. It looks like an upright vacuum cleaner with a small screen on top. You'll see in the video the bot screen has a very large follow me button, which probably means don't keep me in a closet. Let me follow you around and collect data. Google's parent company, Alphabet, is using AI to create personal robots that can learn on their own. Amazon is also working on a personal robot. 
The company is building a voice-controlled robot codenamed Vesta that's been called a mobile Alexa. Oh, wow. (laughs) Listeners will want to read writer Michael Corkery's New York Times article titled, Should Robots Have a Face? He does an excellent job of explaining how robots have been introduced into retail stores. Google the title of the article, Should Robots Have a Face? Now, we've all heard about, or we've all heard the word smart used in reference to appliances, personal products, even mattresses. Smart includes artificial intelligence and also nanotechnology. I'd like to talk about what I learned while preparing for tonight's talk, but first I'd like to mention something interesting about nanotechnology and a connection to the Eastern Mediterranean. The show before last, we talked about an advanced palace at an archaeological site on the island of Crete discovered by Sir Arthur Evans. I discovered a nanoparticle is a dodecahedron, which is one of the platonic solids. Plato mentioned them in 350 B.C. There are five. You see them mentioned in a lot of New Age books. They're mathematical, and they're not natural. They're called allotropes. In 1982, Leo Paquette of Ohio State University synthesized a chemical compound called dodecahedrane. To read about it, Google Leo, Ohio State, 1982, dodecahedron to find the link. You don't even need to know how to spell Leo's last name. It'll come up on your screen. One of the reasons I wanted to talk about artificial intelligence is due to a book a friend told me to read about 20 years ago. Nick, back then, we used to go to Bud Hopkins Intruders Foundation meetings on 27th Street, if you'll remember. Oh, I remember that quite well, yes. Well, my friend Bill Meyer ran the Information Technology Department at New York's Fashion Institute of Technology just a few doors away. He's the one who told me to read Stephen Levy's Artificial Life, a report from the frontier where computers meet biology, and he said it was very scary. The book was published in 1993. For this, for, for preparation for tonight, I remembered that it was very scary, so I reordered it. Artificial Life is another name for artificial intelligence. Levy describes a computer scientist named Chris Langton who coined the term artificial life in the late 80s and organized the first A-Life conference at Los Alamos National Laboratory in 1987. Obviously, there's more to the story because nanoparticles contain artificial intelligence, and Plato knew about them. Now, AI is about to level the job market. Los Alamos was the location of a secret laboratory established by the Manhattan Project and operated by the University of California to build the first atom bomb. 
book's first chapter begins with Von Neumann was dying. John Von Neumann was a computer scientist, physicist, and mathematician who joined the Manhattan Project in 1943. Ten years later, in 1953, he discovered he had prostate cancer that had spread, and he died on February 8, 1957, at the age of 53. Hmm. Von Neumann is known for his work on self-replicating machines. Nanoparticles are capable of self-replication, and they can rearrange atoms. In 2017, researchers at the City University of New York, or CUNY, turn graphene, another allotrope, into a new material called diamine that is harder than diamond. Wow. There's a new there's a news story about the CUNY rearrangement of atoms using nanotechnology in Nano Magazine. You can Google Nano Magazine Graphene Diamond two thousand and seventeen. I had never heard of graphene. I discovered it is an allotrope of graphite. Graphite is used in pencils, and it is natural. Graphene is graphite with rearranged atoms that does not exist in nature. Hmm. Now, well, reading articles about artificial intelligence, I would often see Nick Bostrom's name as well as the name of his book called Superintelligence, published in 2014, referring to super-intelligent AI that can learn on its own. Nick Bostrom is a philosopher at Oxford who has warned that AI may bring an end to humanity. Bill Gates, Elon Musk, and Stephen Hawking warned that AI may bring an end to humanity in 2015. If you level the job market, it's equivalent to killing off a population. Bostrom describes our situation as children playing with a bomb. His book is compelling because he covers topics such as AI motivation. He explains that an AI life form can be devious, extremely clever, and can quietly take control. He has coined the term singleton for an AI takeover. I worked in the microcomputer business in New York for over 20 years. After reading Nick Bostrom's book, I wrote to my friend Marjorie Stave and told her about the scary AI books. She wrote back and said she was reading The Future is Faster Than You Think by Peter Diamandis, published in January 2020. She said she highly recommended the book. I discovered it is packed with examples of how life is about to change. He says most industries will disappear. Diamandis starts Chapter 1 with Uber's flying cars that he says Hyundai will have ready by 2020. Their site says 2023. You can Google Uber Elevate. He also says 3D printers can and will replace existing manufacturing. Insurance and finance will be negotiated AI to AI. 
Diamandis is the co-founder and executive chairman of Singularity University. Ray Kurzweil, author of three books and an advocate for transhumanism, is the other co-founder. Transhumanists want to enhance their bodies with nanotechnology. Amazon uses artificial intelligence to recommend other books. When I bought Diamandis's book, I started receiving ads and uh, for additional AI books. I noticed an AI book written by two professors of business administration at Harvard Business School, and I ordered it because I wanted to know if they think most businesses will disappear. Mm-hmm. Competing in the age of AI, strategy and leadership when algorithms and networks run the world by Marco Iancidi and Kareem Lakani, published in January 2020, it's another scary book. The authors urge every company to scale, which they say will require AI. They're very casual about the loss of jobs. IT professionals will need to fit into a new AI core, and just about every other job will be eliminated. I did not really understand how much smart material exists until I read about examples in architecture, medicine, and surveillance. I'll tell listeners what to Google if they want to read the content that I found. I investigated nanotechnology and architecture because I have a personal theory that the Great Pyramid and the Sphinx were created with a nano-assembler. Nano-assemblers are described by author K. Eric Dressler. The Great Pyramid is an engineering marvel. It's only off True North by about three degrees. True North refers to an alignment with the axis of the entire planet and not just magnetic north. The Sphinx is one piece of stone. So it looks like we're really in our AI nanotechnology future. In architecture, I discovered smart architecture conferences that have been held around the world for many years. A paper presented at the Smart Architecture Conference in Savannah in 2005 by Jose de Vega and Paulo Ferreira provides excellent background information. Listeners can Google smart and nano materials in architecture and add Jose's first name to find their paper. Smart and nano materials in architecture is the title. In medicine, the use of smart and nanomaterials is called tissue engineering, used to create flesh and bone. There, listeners can Google smart and nanomaterials used in tissue and bone generation, adding the letters NIH to find scientific studies, and there's a lot of them. Hmm. Nanoparticles used for surveillance is the most chilling example. They're called smart dust. Now, I've seen this expression spelled as one word and as two words. Here's a description of how smart dust is used 
and surveillance from a publication called Azo Nano, published for the nanotechnology community. Surveillance using smart dust includes nano-sized machines housing a range of sensors and wireless communication devices. Individually, they can float undetected in a room with other dust particles. Combining the information gathered from hundreds, thousands, or millions of these tiny specks can give a full report on what is occurring within an area, including sound and images. Mary Jo, I, I have to commend you for the uh, depth of your research here. And uh, I, and I'm sure everybody who is listening to this uh, podcast is just thinking, what are we going to do about this? How in the world are we going to stop something like this? It sounds 99% nightmare and 1% uh, good, good news. And that's not a good, that's not good numbers at all. It's scary. Uh, how, when, you, when you were going through this, what, what were your impressions? Well, a, I kind of hit the wall for a while, to be honest, you know, after reading those books and then realizing how serious this is. You know, they're saying about the number of jobs that will be lost and so on. But then just recently I started to write letters to uh, relatives who are in the insurance business. That's how I found the story about how CVS bought Aetna. Aetna mm -hmm. is a famous insurance company. Sure. And then, you know, I read I read the article about the they they announced it in November 2018, uh, and it, it's clear that they you know CVS bought them Aetna for their data. As insurance companies have a huge amount of data. Then it hit me. I thought. If those types of, per, of, of you know, the, they had to buy Aetna because they need the data for superintelligence, uh, which is the most threatening form of artificial intelligence, and that if companies guard their data and don't sell, that would be a way to put the brakes on. Yep. Boy, this is this is really when you start li literally connecting these dots and and seeing the big plan here, uh, it's not spelling good good things and good times for all of us. It's, it's it's spelling huge profits for very greedy people and yes. the end of any any kind of privacy at all uh, right. times a thousand. And that really is so offensive on so many levels. It's reducing us as, as human beings to data. Yes, definitely. The other group that might be able to uh, be a real force against this are conservatives. Now, yes. Yes. After, the, after the Great Depression, or to get to pull out of the Great Depression, England, France, and Canada uh, relied on what is called welfare capitalism. In other words, the state had to supply people with a living because uh, they were suffering from the Great Depression. Sure. So that won't go over too well with conservatives, so that they could be a real powerful force to try to stop all of these mergers, you know, and pe these companies being bought up just for their data. 
if they understand it, if they realize what's coming and all this jo- these jobs will be lost and people will have it will just overwhelm government. I mean, you know, to have all these people unemployed it will be devastating. It'll happen and it, it's happening very very fast. That's the thing. It's not something far in the future. It's just happening really really quickly. Well, it's happening, as you mentioned, right now. Uh, I went to a movie the other day at the AMC Mega Theater on 34th Street, and mm-hmm. the, all, the, all the people who used to uh, sell us tickets are gone. And what is there now is one woman who was very nice, and uh, all these machines, and she was trying to teach everyone how to use the machines. So we went from four or five people to now one person. And that alone, and and it was a learning curve to learn exactly how to do it. And she even made a mistake with the machinery a couple of times herself. So there's no uh, human. That's just one example. I went to the drugstore this morning, and uh, there was only one person, a live person, checking people out. All the others were machines where you know you put your, uh, you have recordings, and you put your, your your products in and scan them yourself, put them in bags yourself and then put your credit card in yourself, and then the machine tells you when to take it out. No humans are around. You know, Another thing about New York of, City is when I went to put my merchandise in the, the bags, there were no more bags. All the plastic bags are gone now because of the New York new law. So, so I ended up, I didn't realize that, so I ended up carrying my merchandise in my hands all the way home. And those are just two examples of of how it's happening right now, just exactly like you're saying. Yeah, practically overnight. Yeah. You know, on the subject of uh, smart dust, I don't know if you've ever used uh, Google Maps. Oh, yes, very much so, yes. Well, have you ever used it in satellite mode where you can actually see, like, almost, you know, like you're in a plane? It looks... In, at first, when you click into satellite mode, you know, you're, you can zoom in and zoom in to, you know, get down to the ground and see streets and so on. But then they have like a 3D uh, function where you can just, you know, sort of navigate and almost walk around each building wherever it is that you want, whatever it is that you want to see. You know, recently I did that with Venice because I want to go back to Venice someday. And so I went from uh, the the entire planet uh, to to the streets of Venice, and I was I was literally seeing and going around corners. And so you're right. I mean, there we are. And that and then I went to a, another place in another section of the world, and I could see the streets and the buildings. Well, you know, it's 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 always bugged me whenever I've used that website. How do they do this? Because you know, you can just walk around a real building, and it looks like a photograph. So yes. maybe they do it with maybe they do it with the smart dust. Supposedly the smart dust was created a long time ago. We've had that a long time, and it was developed originally by the Rand Corporation with DARPA. Mm-hmm. So because you can get images with these little tiny nanoparticles, they call it, that they, that they're calling smart dust. Maybe that's how they do it. Wow. Uh, that, that's just way beyond anything that I've even read, and that I think that most people haven't got any concept at all that this is even possible, let alone working. You know, you just hit on something. 
they don't I think they're deliberately keeping it from us. I mean, I don't read it. The the lengths that you have to go to to find this information are are kind of you know, you have to put a lot of energy into finding out this information. Well, exactly, and I think you hit it upon that also that they do not they do not want us real regular people to to know what's coming because this is not good news. In fact, this is very frightening news on a very deep level. And it involves our privacy, our our livelihood. And what are we going to do? <laughs> and I don't hear anybody saying anything about that. Right, right. And that's scary. That really is. And this is as huge an issue as as any other I can think of. This This has got so many ramifications and on such a level, and it's coming at rapid speed. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think that most people are focusing on this at all, at all. And uh, that is that is also very troubling because it's going to come out of nowhere. And then what, what, and there's no turning back. I remember when I was uh, talking uh, to uh, someone who was a time traveler. Al, Al Bielik was his name, and he was connected with the Philadelphia Experiment, which is quite quite a story unto itself. And he came to one of our meetings. And it was such an um, amazing three hours with Al Bielik there. And one thing he said was that in the future, there are going to be countries where the elected officials will have proved to be so corrupt that the people wouldn't accept them anymore. And smart computers have been programmed to run the country and run the government. <laughs> And he said that was part of the future. Uh, he also said one other thing, too, Mary Jo, that i got to share with you. Uh, he said that uh, in the future he saw that people would be scanned when they're going into any sort of airport or any other kind of travel mechanism, and that they would be able to – people would be able, behind the curtain, so to speak, be able to read them, read their mind and emotions. And if they felt that there was anything troubling, they would instantly call – the guards to get them out of the line and take them in a back room to, to examine them more carefully. Now that's the good news. And that's the bad news. It's, it's both of those things. Yes. You wouldn't want someone that was really in trouble or, or planning something horrible on a plane to, to be on your plane at the same time. This is thought police. And I just read an article that said it's here. We have that now. Mm. And again, here we go. You know, it's the good news and the bad news. But in this case, your subject matter here, unless I'm mistaken, is really troubling news. Well, the other thing about this is uh, what's quite eerie is the fact that this whole thing about uh, nanoparticles being equivalent to, uh, you know, a platonic solid, the dodecahedron, which is very, very old, going back to Plato, platonic solids, this means that this has been around a long time. So there, there may, it's, it may be that we have, you know, it's been here. We're, we have this, uh, already have superintelligence. And it's just, you know, it's just these fragments of information that, for years, I would read New Age books, and I and there'd be a paragraph or, or even a whole section on platonic solids with, ima- you know, sketches of them. There's mm-hmm. five of them. 
and I, I had to had to have seen them in, in maybe oh I don't know several books, but they the authors never really explained what they are. But they seem to be the well a dodecahedron is a nanoparticle, and it's and they're and they're used to the 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 um, uh, transhumanists want to enhance the human body with nanoparticles, so they're build of they're I consider them a building block of artificial life. Yes, yes. They look like a soccer. The dodecahedron looks a little like a soccer ball, and there's there's different. Uh, there's different versions. Like there's one called Fullerene that's been nicknamed Buckyball after Buckminster Fuller. Oh sure. That was mm-hmm. the that was that was the first one that I that I learned about. But there the there are these uh the they're allotropes. They're they're just they just don't exist in nature. But and the and the the whole nanotechnology business is, is somewhat secretive. There's a uh, a watchdog organization in Canada called ETC Group, and 20 years ago they said nanoparticles were dangerous. They had a woman uh, scientist who dropped some nanoparticles into a tank of fish, and the fish were dead in 48 hours. Huh. It was, you know, she, and so they they warned people about nanoparticles. They're, you know, they're not part of nature. And here you we know, have recently part- I was reading an article about chemtrails, and they were saying that there, there were nanoparticles that are in the chemtrails, and that um, when they spread those white, those white trails, it looked like vapor trails, but they're not. They're not vapor trails. They are, mm-hmm. they're ke- chemicals that are being rained down on all of us. And, and they linger. No, and they, they linger they in the sky. And the nanoparticles are part of that, and they have scientific proof of that. And when you said that before, that triggered my thinking about chemtrails. Mm-hmm. And the chemtrails are still very much a part of just about every city and other, even towns now worldwide. And I've who is financing them. that and why? Have you ever seen them in a movie? I've seen them in, in you know, they can't get rid of them and they're shooting film. <laughs> I've yes. seen them in several movies. They're yes, just in and the also in TV commercials. I, I, in fact, yeah. I was wondering if they deliberately inserted them to make it feel like, well, that's normal. <laughs> you know, psychologically, you would see that in a, in a, be- a beautiful blue sky, and it was a TV uh-huh. commercial, but it's kind of like, well, that's normal. It's not normal. Yes. Not at all normal. But And it, here, uh, here we are. We still don't know really too much about them. We don't. And on that, on that I, note, I, unfortunately, I, I need to intrude um, and ask you to please share your contact information and the other information uh, you have. Uh, our journey okay. for today's ended. This was an awesome episode, and uh, I, I wish we had longer time. I, I'd jump in at this point. <laughs> well, maybe we can uh, do a, a part two on this subject later on. Um, Mary Jo, you, you and I will talk about that. Uh, let me give you my email, which uh, is Nick, N-Y-N-Y, the number one, the figure one, at gmail.com. Again, Nick, N-Y-N-Y-1, at gmail.com. And if you'd like to either uh, contact me or Mary Jo, I'll pass anything to Mary Jo onto her, of course. Mary Jo, is that okay with you? That's fine. That's fine. And we can do it that way, and that way they, they'll have a way of contacting us. Uh, also, I'd like to just mention Disclosure website, which is dnny.info. 
I-N-F-O, and that will give you the uh, uh, monthly two meetings per month. And we've never had a more exciting schedule. In fact, Mary Jo, we've got Mark Kimmel coming on uh, on March 15th uh, from California. We're going to do it on Skype. Oh, that's wonderful. And uh, so we'll be able to hear and see him, and he'll be able to hear and see us. And he has, I believe, another book that just came out. He's an extraordinary person. We can't wait to to have him as our special guest. Oh, that's great. That sounds fantastic. I wish you success with it. And, uh, uh, Nick, I um, tagged you in a few posts. Um, So we'll talk about that a little later uh, as well. Uh, Thank you for another wonderful episode of Connecting the Dots, and I'm looking forward to part two. Thank you. Much love to all. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Thank you. Good night. Bye-bye. Good night. Bye. Uh, We're going to listen to Dave the Bard's Antler Crown and Standing Stone, and then we'll be back for Hercules and the Space Gods. Today, our guest is Christine Shaw, and if this is episode one of the Klingon Chronicles.
air is cold, the sky is grey. Where am I this winter's day? Bones of trees, fallen leaves, the time of the winter queen. But through the wind and snow and rain, know that a part of me remains. Holly stands evergreen. our journeys to the astral realms of Gaia's world tree. Pride of Olympus is our metaphorical vehicle for exploring various thematically related but seemingly different approaches concerned with explaining our human origins, guiding our human development, and actualizing our maximal potential. Pride of Olympus supports all of humanity's efforts to transcend this world and venture forth into the great beyond, be they metaphysical, mechanical, or even imaginal. And like all astral conveyances, Pride of Olympus can, and does, assume many forms, including that of this podcast. Tonight we begin a new series called the Klingon Chronicles. And uh, although we started explaining this a bit more on Facebook, I'm going to let it unfold in its own way here on the podcast. Uh, Our first guest is Christine Shaw, um, someone I met a long time ago during the early days of our Klingon adventure. Oh, my God, is it that old? (laughs) (laughs) It's been, it's, it started in the mid 80s and now we're in the, the 2020. So <laughs> I think it's, it's more like 1988. <laughs> That's when you came into it. Yes, we, we'd already been. Yeah, uh, 1988. Yeah. So what first um, attracted you to the whole uh, Klingon phenomenon? Well, I've always been a Star Trek fan, I'm like second generation. Star Trek fan. Okay. My mom, my mom's a huge Trekkie. That's where I got it from. And she used to take ah. me to conventions. And then I just grew up with it. Oh, then very, years very later, cool. when... huh? I... Sorry. No, no, I said very cool. Sorry. 
Oh, very cool. No. <laughs> okay. I'm new to this radio thing. Bear with me if I make any mistakes. Just bear with me. <laughs> no, you're awesome. Oh, thank you so much. You are too. Thank you. Oh, and okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> the, the Klingon thing, I started when I was in a bad relationship, but I'm not getting involved with it because it's past, it's okay. past, and... And I found Klingons very empowering, you know, and I could be something and I could do something within myself to make myself feel powerful. Mm-hmm. And I met, and I just, and I like the Klingon way, the philosophy, the, you know, he could be badass, you know, make way for the Klingons and the, the aisles will just pass. <laughs> we'll just be yes, passing in the aisles. <laughs> <laughs> we had a convention too in New York, the Creation Convention, and uh, uh, it took a while, but eventually we became the primary security, and we had our own room for meetings, the Teradoc Lingangome, and the Teradoc room at the Penta. At the, yes, the St. Yeah. Louis room at the Rua Penta. That's what one of the writers <laughs> called it, <laughs> <laughs> and it ended up on Star Trek VI. So there you go. Yes, there you go. <laughs> A lot of things we did wound up on the show, actually. Um, uh, I stopped uh, keeping uh, track of it, but uh, um, I was looking at who was coming, to, who was talking to us, and then who was writing these shows or on the team of these shows. And a lot of things we did creatively um, as fans wound up becoming canon on the TV shows or in the movies in time. We were the trendsetters of the Klingons. That, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> so you found it very I, empowering A lot of people did find it empower, empowering In fact when I talked to people About that particular time Or uh, even if I didn't know them If they're into it now That's something that comes up a lot That um, you know, the Klingons were warriors uh, They weren't afraid of life Or of confronting uh, difficult situations And regardless of what happened uh, you know, Whether it turned out good or bad for them If they approached it as Klingons And tackled with it That was glorious And had lots of honor attached to it Oh, and we can just be badass Right <laughs> Excuse me, I, I'm a loud uh, Sorry, potty mouth, sorry <laughs> no, badass is fine. Um, and okay. uh, you are always very creative. Uh, you did uh, costuming, you did makeup, you did a lot of writing, uh, you did a lot of uh, impromptu performance uh, at our meetings. So um, I'm assuming it gave you an outlet for your creativity. Um, do, you do a lot of creative things still. You're a dancer, and I remember over the years, a, artwork being part of your uh, uh, unfolding I journey. Do, well, most. Most of my it's mostly sewing, jewelry design, and my and I'm a, I'm still a belly dancer. Um, mm-hmm. I love creative outlets. My first honor sash, you will everyone's gonna laugh. It was an old bathroom curtain I made. My first honor <laughs> sash I made. Hey, it was it was recycled material. I washed right. it, recycle, reuse. And everyone says, oh, I love your honest ash. If you knew it was a bathroom curtain, hey. You... <laughs> and I made a lot of my cos- I made a lot of my costumes. I made mm-hmm. a lot of my husband's costumes. You know, I and had you... day. Yeah, I had day wear, night wear, teradoc wear, um, <laughs> ten forward wear. I mean, 
create, you know, convention wear. I mean, it, it was it was just, I would just come up, and we would have, like, the fabric stores, like, rag shop I would go to by my house, by on Metropolitan Avenue. They had the um, rag shop right by in that shopping center where um, Kmart used to be on Metropolitan. Mm-hmm. And they had a rag shop there. Well, it didn't last long. And I used to buy fabrics from there and make stuff. And I came up with some good, nice stuff. <laughs> yes, you did. I, I, I remember uh, that you were always very uh, creative in your presentation and uh, that your presentation was always evolving over time. And like me, you met your significant other through uh, a Star Trek uh, fandom. Yes. I met my husband at a Star Trek convention. <laughs> that That is uh, incredibly awesome. Oh yeah. And how is Athena anyway? Tell her I said hi. I I definitely will. She's uh making sure that uh, everybody's quiet while I do the podcast, including the puppies. <laughs> so <laughs> Oh, okay. That's a little hard to do. <laughs> they're puppies. Yeah, well they're not really puppies. They're they're small, so they're we call oh, okay. them puppies, but they're actually adult uh, oh, okay. dogs. But uh uh, one of the dogs barks a lot, so the other one learned to bark a lot. So now they both bark. Oh. <laughs> so yes, it's a difficult yeah, task. You could have dressed them up and walked them as targs. That's that's right. Put little costumes on them. Uh, we had a dog that liked costumes for a little while. Our current dogs uh, don't like uh, wearing any costumes for uh, longer than they have to. So we have a couple of really cool pictures, but not very many. Oh, okay. <laughs> so your husband is still active in uh, Klingon fandom you had shared, and you're still active in uh, Klingon fandom, but not to the extent as uh, before. What is Klingon mm. fandom like now? Back in the day, there were a lot of people interested. They were, they were into all aspects of uh, creativity, and uh, the impromptu performances, kind of which predated LARPing, uh, were the main attraction. You can go there and, and be all an all-out Klingon. What is the fandom like now? I haven't been to a convention in like nearly over two decades, actually. Well, conventions have changed over the years, and I and I stopped really going to conventions. I think in 2010, okay. because then there was a shift. Everything, all kinds of um, other mainstream science fiction came mainstream. Okay. You know, and, and then there were other outlets like people wouldn't just don't want to be Klingons. People wanted to be characters out of Babylon 5 or Stargate or Hercules or Xena, and they had conventions for that. So we would also be working those conventions as well with creation. So we had to like adapt and have costumes for those conventions on top of our Klingon stuff. Wow. So yeah, we did, you should have, you should see our luggage. <laughs> plus, I remember the know, other conventions. The, there were uh, conventions with uh, Beauty and the Beast, I think it was, uh, with uh, um, with yep. uh, that show that was playing. And uh, oh yeah, um, we did that as Klingons. Back then, we just did everything <laughs> as Klingons. We went Klingon. to other conventions, but it was as uh, Klingons. Yeah, we, we did we, a lot of Klingons. And we now, used to store the. Remember Shore Leave? Yes, of course. I've been to more than a in few Maryland. Of them. Yes. In 2018, they did their 40th anniversary. 
Wow. How was now, that? I, well, yes and no. My husband and I were the only two Klingons there. Versus like 20-something years ago, we would have, you know, the New Jersey Klingons, our Klingons, you know, the Karazans. We would have, you know, Maryland's Klingons. You'd have people coming up from Florida, Atlanta. You, you know, Karazans would come in from the Midwest. I mean, it was just, you know, the Maryland Klingons would set up their Klingon jail for charity. <laughs> I mean, now, <laughs> you know how many... You know how many times we put people we didn't like in those Klingon jails? For charity. <laughs> even so, no, even shore leave guests before their security got a little tight, you know, used to go and wanted to be in the Klingon jail. Mm-hmm. And I made a lot of good friends in the Maryland Klingons, you know, and a lot of them. I made a lot of good friends across the country. Now Klingons are more... What? Yeah, I'm friends with a lot of them. Awesome. The the Maryland ones, they did, they in like 2011, they had a shift and they decided they didn't want to do Klingon. They decided steampunk, so that's what they did. They got, I guess they got bored. <laughs> well, bored or moved on to other interests. Most people move, moved on to other interests over the years. They would be, after you left, they would be Klingon for like two, three years, and then they would like either join Starfleet or find something else or, you know, life just got in the way, you know, married, kids, job, you know, things just got the, in the, the way. The Starfleet people managed to keep together, though, because uh, um, when yeah. we first came back, we had like a mini convention. Uh, um, it was called Mythic Atlantis and here in uh, Tenafly, New Jersey. And uh, we had invited whatever Klingons we could find, uh, but nobody, uh, you know, I think you had responded and you couldn't make it. But, uh, we, but, but it was work. It was work related. Oh, it was, but it was, most it was mundane job related. And I understand that, uh, certainly. Um, and I respect that. Um, but a lot of Klingons didn't even reply. And Starfleet responded. So I was able to reconnect with uh, Bob Vossler and Wayne Augustson, and Wayne had been a Klingon uh, back in the day as part of our group. And then uh, after we left, he, he, something happened with Klingon fandom. He didn't want to talk about it, but uh, he uh, um, joined us in our Asgard, which was like our own science fiction universe <laughs> that didn't have a TV show or anything, but I was shopping it around yeah. to different places trying to make it into something. Um, so it was great to connect with him, and he he joined Starfleet and eventually became in charge of uh, uh, Region uh, Seven. Uh, and uh, uh, I found out that several other people, like Alex, uh, were still active in Star Trek uh, fandom. So um, they're still at it, and although it's a little bit different than it was uh, before, uh, they still uh, pretty much do a lot of the same things that they've always done. Yep, there is also an organization. It never really. Here in the New York City tri-state area, it's called CAG, Klingon Assault Group. I know group. CAG. Now, yeah, CAG. They're, they were big right? in. They were bug up in. They were big in New England. They were big in Canada. They were big down south, the Midwest, and California in the West. They really didn't. And upstate New York, they really didn't have. I mean, they had a couple ships in Westchester, but a little too far for me to get to. You right. know, logistically, because you can't get there from here sometimes. But yeah. TAG is still up and I 
I hate to say this, and I don't want to be mean, but CAG is Starfleet with ridges. It's not okay. a bad thing. They do the same things as Starfleet, but they do everything with Klingon, the charity events, the meetings, and everything. And I met a lot of wonderful, you know, you know, wonderful people, and they're very cool to, to hang out with. Don't get me wrong. You know, they are. I remember, I remember when CAG started, and uh, John Halverson, uh, Kukura, if I remember, he used to call himself when he was uh, a Klingon. Yes. Uh, he and I were kind of frenemies back in those days. <laughs> oh, he was frenemies with a lot of people. But I sadly have to say he, he is not in the best health right now in California. So we'll say prayers for him, you know, give him good, you know, positive healing energies. You well, know, certainly so. You know, you know, give him some positive healing energy. You know, yes, and, we, you know, we his... certainly do that. Yeah, and it's... And they're still around. There's... But they're not as big as they, you know, they have their own little clusters, and then they have CAG have their own conventions, like they do Trek land. They go, they go to like Vulcan in Atlanta, and um, Dragon Con, and they go to Starbase Indy, which is their big thing. And then years ago, about uh, 2003 or four, we went to their Camp Dover Peace Conference. Oh, awesome. Which is their version of Teradoc and a little convention for the CAG people. Okay. And the one time we went, a whole contingent of us went, there was a schism the night before. So it was a no politics, <laughs> no role play kind of thing. <laughs> Can you share what happened or... Uh, you're sworn to secrecy. They wouldn't say, but we didn't want it. We were guests in their territory, so we were. And we did. We and they still talk about what we did at the Klingon feast. They had the like the international <laughs> feast. Yeah. We had a table. We threw all the silverware in the bread basket. We were eating with our knives. We were taking the food off awesome. the steak off the plates, eating it. Oh. <laughs> we were handing. <laughs> Oh, it was just, we were just, we, we had our, I had, I had my feet on the table, you know, eating, and it was, we did so much role play, but the way they did it, it was, it was kind of like a relaxicon, it's like, you know, if they do a panel, it's like if they, they were drunk the night before, and they have a hangover, and, you know, they canceled two panels, because they, they had the, they were hungover from the party the night before, it was, it was very nice. And they were very so, nice. Those days were, but they were fun. I remember at one event, uh, the Emperor Kenneth and I uh, were asked uh, Oh, the uh, swimming pool at shore leave. Oh, my God. That was no, that, hilarious. That was hilarious. But there was another time we were invited someplace, uh, to, and we made it to Stars and Stripes, the military newspaper, because it was like a military type of thing. And instead uh -huh. of eating ice cream, we were walking around eating frozen hamburger patties. <laughs> and that made quite an That's funny. That, that made quite an impression. I'm sure it skeeved a lot of people out too. But uh, we're, we're Klingon warriors, you know. So uh, you know, milk is for the weak. Oh, yeah. So we had uh, frozen hamburger. Oh yeah, but we had a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it but was a lot of fun. Klingon, we had a lot of fun. But after you left Klingon, there was a Klingon fandom shift. Mm hmm. 
apparently it got a little ugly. That's what I heard. I heard that from some people. It was infighting and ugliness, and I was, and for a long time, and that turned me off for a while because I was like, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm too old for this crap. I, I can't right. deal with this. But I'm not going to get into quit. details. Yeah, no, don't. And it's not necessary. It, but a lot of people quit and during people that time. Saw, and people saw it in this area. So if you wanted to recruit Klingon, people would all like, oh, we don't want these people. You know, these people right. are too much drama, too much backstabbing, too much games, and we're adults. Right. Then, um, oh, sorry. <laughs> no, go ahead. Go ahead. You're the guest. And then, 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 um, around 2010, 2009, 2010, I found out one of my Klingon line fathers, and he's a very good friend of mine, Jeff Gordon. Yes, I remember him. Passed uh, away. He, he's a good friend. He passed away, and that made me stop doing Klingon for a while because it was just, I didn't have, because we would interact at conventions and newsletters and phone and write, he would we would write articles together and, you know, you know, you know, we coordinate articles and collaborate. Right. And when he died, I, I didn't have the heart to be Klingon anymore for a long time because it, it just hurt. I mean, it, it, it shouldn't have, but it did. And it gave, and the way fandom was, it gave me a bad taste in my mouth. So my husband and I right. took a break from it. It's just that how much can you take? And people looking outside in in our the New York City area with the Klingons, and I know Starfleet International's organization saw everybody saw it how ugly we were, how ugly it got, you know. And it wasn't necessary, and that was no, our downfall. That was it, the it Klingon fandom in New York City's downfall. A lot of people didn't get uh, that it was play. It was uh, improv. Um, like, uh, right. for instance, when when I was uh, a Klingon ambassador, what does the Klingon ambassador do? They start wars. <laughs> so I would, you know, in the role play, <laughs> we I would start treaties. wars. We burned treaties, yeah. And then, and and then when treaties. they contacted Karazhan headquarters, Karazhan headquarters was, would say that I'm the best uh, uh, Karazhan ambassador because uh, I've created a state of perpetual warfare. So there was no real <laughs> warfare. It was to people's imaginations, uh, but, but it was just play to us. And uh, um, any Azir, like anybody who ever was initiated in the Feld Azir, um, they learned the great secret one day, you know, like after we give them like a long time of like initiation, it was just basically the great secret was none of this is real that we, that, you know, even when they kicked me out of the Felder's ear for a while, we scripted that. <laughs> so I was, no, I know. Ear, uh, but everybody thought I was. And then, uh, um, then they, they were scared of Dennis and uh, Dennis, 
um, I painted him in the in the writing as like being seven feet tall, and he was like a hair trigger temper, and he was actually a nice guy. <laughs> he was around my size, but people would talk about him as if he was seven feet tall, and he he'd kill you with a glance. So it, it was very interesting time, but it was play. It was improv theater. It was a guerrilla mind theater. We used to call it back then. Uh, uh, but it was to have a good time. It wasn't to really, uh, you know, mess anybody up. But we're playing Klingons. But there were people who didn't know the difference, and that's right. why it got a little ugly. Because they, we would do it because we're used to doing it. But there were people who took it seriously and extra step that they really shouldn't have took. You, that's you know what I mean. Yes, I, I And it's I do sad know. to say because it was all role play, you know? Like my husband's character, he killed this character twice and created two new characters. Right. Who does that? Uh huh. <laughs> Who does that? I mean And then now and then come and then with the cons you know, none of us it got so ugly because people didn't know the difference, we all just went our separate ways. It was kind of sad. We just moved. We no, all just had sad. life and moved on. It was sad. I'm still in now and then for a while. There was nothing Klingon. You know, there was nothing for Klingons to do. You know, after Enterprise ended, there was nothing. So you right. had like that void, except a couple movies. But other than that, so people would go online these online forums, which is no longer called the Empire. My husband was very active. I call them Klingon keyboard warriors. They would do okay. all the role play stuff that we did live, but on the computer. That, awesome! I missed know, that whole period. It was it was awesome. Everyone, you know, there someone was a Dahar master, and they would give each other wacky do title. It was all in good fun, and they would get involved right. and cling, you know, cling on discussions. But it was all on fun instead of because you know because you had people. You know, writing in from Germany, writing in from England, writing in from Hawaii, you know. You know, it's expensive to get together. So right, that's it what, is. You know, you remember forum boards. Alas, it shut yes, down I, because I remember them. Facebook I, got I lack of interest. Once. Uh, Dennis uh, was looking at the things we could do, and uh, we eventually had a play-by-email game that we did. And uh, uh, we did one for Klingons. And uh, we did one with Asgar because uh, at, at that point, you know, like uh, uh, we left Klingon fandom. We lost our connections with people. So uh, we got very few people. Wayne actually was uh, one of the few people who was uh, doing the play by email game. And uh, then we stopped and we did it for Asgar. And as our own uh, science fiction thing, we got more people to play, which was strange because we didn't have a TV show. We didn't have anything, but uh, we have fans. Uh, so uh, we do conventions and, and things like that. But, uh, yeah, we missed that whole uh, period in the evolution of Klingon fandom. So I'm learning about it mostly through you. Uh, so thank you. And, not a, and then they had Comic Cons, which changed the whole premise of being Klingon. Now, okay. a lot of these people, when they're dressing the Klingon, it's look at me, take a picture. Right. And, you know, the I call it the paparazzi, the cosplay <laughs> paparazzi. I have some funny stuff. I'm funny. <laughs> I can't sure. help it. Life. 
I went to Star Trek missions in 2016. It was to celebrate the 50th anniversary of Star Trek. It was, it was held at the Javits Center. Okay. Oh, it was an awesome con. You know, it it was kind of like a comic con, but with Star Trek. But the problem okay. is, is they did it on the same weekend as Dragon Con. <laughs> okay. Bad move. <laughs> yeah, bad move. <laughs> but it was awesome. You know, I would I would go and I would go to the Starbucks at the Javits Center and order my Ractagino, and the girl uh-huh. there looked at me and like, "What's a Ractagino?" Don't you know what coffee is? And you know, and I'm yelling at I'm yelling at the barrister, and everyone in the you know online is laughing because you know they're all Star Trek. You know, we're all there. You know, they're all in costume, and they're like, "Oh, that's funny." <laughs> and then I'm you know, and I met a I met my um met a few new people who did really well Klingon costume, but they didn't role play. They didn't know how to role play. Right. That's what we had before we started our thing, because I had read an article about Robert Aspern, who did the Thieves World book series, and he wrote some other fantasy books for a while. He was married to uh, Lynn Abbey, who was also a science fiction writer, and they created Thieves World, which was a series of, like, anthologies that were like sword and sorcery. And uh, he had gone to a convention wherever he was, I don't remember, um, and they dressed as Klingons and uh, they did security. So that put the idea in my head that, hey, that would be a neat thing uh, to do. Because when we first came, the only people who dressed uh, as uh, Klingons, uh, there was somebody in Long Island who you know whose name shall not be mentioned. uh, And there were rumors of Kara. Um, and uh, <laughs> the other people were only costumed, you know, they, and, and they would talk about Star Trek episodes and uh, they would talk about uh, um, the costumes. <laughs> so we decided to change that. And it's like, let's let's just embrace that inner Klingon and go with it a million percent and like act like Klingons all the time and do Klingon things. So um, they were kind of uncertain as to how this would work. But Kathy, who was uh, a Doctor Who fan, she was in charge of like the of the fan security, so she tried us out, and we were very popular because people weren't expecting for Klingons to harass them while they're waiting online or to uh, tell them they're wearing their honor sashes wrong when they're wearing scarves. Or yeah, that became very popular. So then they let us bring in more uh, of this into the creation convention. So all of that role play, uh, the the it was called role assumption back then. Uh, that started. Right with us over there uh and then it spread like all over the place i was really surprised <laughs> how fast everybody was <laughs> was doing it but it was a lot of fun and and later on something came larping came out and it's like hey we used to do this back in the day it wasn't called anything <laughs> and it was just we were just having fun <laughs> like cosplay so we didn't i yes, didn't have yeah. i i'm like i really don't like that word but because it's not what we do <laughs> Right, right. You know, it's not really what we do. I mean, I understand costume and play. I understand right. that. But it's not – and I know – and I've seen screen-accurate Klingon costumes that, you know, they looked at the, – they they flipped the frame on, on the videotape, and they would have every stitch. I mean, then it's like, look at me that. and take a picture. I was like, can you – but when they were <laughs> – when the paparazzi would come around, all they wanted to know is, can you say kofla? 
Yes. Um, yes. <laughs> it's a whole sacral plot. It's like, really? <laughs> I remember or say something I remember. in cling and say something in Klingon. <laughs> you know. Yep, I Your remember. Mother looks those like days. a tarp, you know. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> And it's and it changed, but there is there is there is fandom out here, out there, but not in this particular area. Well, but there is still fandom, Klingon fandom, still strong, but just not in this the tri-state area, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut. So the let's see what area. we can do about that. We have this uh, new series called the Klingon Chronicles, which and thank you for being brave enough and powerful a warrior enough to confront this and start it. Uh, and uh, you are, of course, <laughs> going to be a frequent uh, guest. You're always welcome here. Let's see if we can get some other Klingons uh, to come on board and share their adventures and uh, uh, in Klingon fandom. Uh, we now have a Feldazir group on Facebook. There's only a handful of people I'm in it, but it. all warriors are welcome. And thank you for uh, connecting us with the people that are there, uh, Dean. Um, you know, I can that, get you in contact with Kathy. Okay, that's awesome. But she, yeah, but she got married, so her name is Catherine Houston, not Kathy Bedrell. Oh, that I just like great. announced all her private information. Oh my god, you know how rude! I just like when announced we, her whole private. When when we edit this, we'll take it out. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> okay. It, it won't be for a while. Kathy, but we will she's it out. on Facebook. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, thank you for helping me track her down, too. And um, how can people get in contact with you? How can they tap into all the wonderful world of things that you're doing? Everything from the uh, uh, belly dancing to Face- the jewelry making. I'm on Facebook as Christine Shaw. And I'm on Instagram. Um, let me give you my Instagram. It's okay. C-S-H-A-W-0918. You're more technically advanced than me. I'm I'm just on Facebook at this point. Tried LinkedIn for a while, but and I, I think I, I don't do LinkedIn. Only LinkedIn is LinkedIn is for like job hunting. Okay. That's that's more. Yeah, that's 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 not Klingon or anything. I keep my fandom stuff off of LinkedIn. But Instagram or Facebook. Thanks again. Uh, you're awesome. I look forward to our next conversation. Thank you. I'll give my regards to Alan. I hope I didn't sound terrible. Okay. I hope I and, didn't. Uh, I hope. I'm sorry. I'm a little nervous. I was nervous. <laughs> you were great. <laughs> Thank you. If 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 you give such great interviews while you're nervous, I can't wait till your next one when you're ne- less nervous. Okay. But I'll be on the show again. Don't worry. Awesome. Take care, Christine. Talk to you soon. And kapwa. Bye. Kapwa. Kapwa. Bye. Bye. Um, We're going to listen to Bone Poets Orchestra's Evolve, and then we'll be back with Unarian Revelations.
Olympus. I am Hercules Invictus, and now we approach 
Unarian Revelations, one of my favorite segments. And tonight we have Celeste Pell and David Reynolds from the Unarius Academy of Science. And we will be approaching the topic of artificial intelligence. Greetings and welcome, fellow Unarians. How are you? Hey, good evening. Good evening. I'm doing well. Thank you for having us. I'm glad you're here. And I'm really looking forward to this uh, topic. In fact, uh, one of our earlier um, segments tonight uh, with the Disclosure Network, uh, they chose to focus on uh, artificial intelligence and what it's doing now and in the near future to uh, uh, human jobs. Yes. Not all, not all bad news. No, no. Uh, but uh, they focused on this uh, today, and uh, one of our regular uh, co-hosts, um, he's been doing a series on artificial intelligence in the labor market as well. So this is a very timely topic uh, that you're bringing to us tonight. Well, Hercules, Great. AI and her- her robotics um, is going to make a big impact on our world and our society and our technology. So. Unarius has a unique perspective to share with your listeners and with everyone. Awesome. Maybe we should just clarify. Maybe that was clarified in the earlier segment, but I really wasn't clear the difference between AI and robotics. AI meaning artificial intelligence through branch of computer science and machines and robotics being the physical, um, mechanism or hardware that AI put into that would create a robot, whether it looked like a human or it looked like RDD2 or, um, you know, some other mechanical looking device. So that, that was important for me to understand the difference. That's my understanding. Well, robotics will use AI. Go ahead, David. Go ahead. Go ahead, Hercules. Oh, no, I was just uh, saying in response to what Celeste had said that uh, that's my understanding it well uh, as well, because some AI exists without being placed inside a body. It kind of exists on, in the clouds and in the Internet uh, in some way that I personally don't understand. Um, but uh, the, the, my understanding is that the robotics is, uh, uh, can operate without a, a degree of artificial intelligence, but you can house artificial intelligence in robotic vehicles. There are two different technologies, so, but they do um, have um, an area of um, blending and intersection, don't they? Yes. So, so what is your understanding, um, David? Unarius has a very unique uh, understanding and um before planet Earth goes too far down that road of technology, um, Unarius would like to introduce a certain spirituality, spirituality to the whole field so that we have a better grasp of where we're going. So uh, Uriel had this, or Ruth Norman, one of the co-founders of Unarius, in 1973 had this uh, ability to contact other worlds because she knew the planet Earth in our spiritual awareness or waking up, we needed to know that we're not alone in the universe and that right. we have a lot of uh, growth to do. So um, she was 
made aware that planet Earth will in the future be a part of an interplanetary confederation, similar to a United Nations. And it just turns out that um, a couple of planets in our Milky Way galaxy related to Uriel or Ruth Norman via mental telepathy, an incredible story of how their planet almost self-destructed. So uh, Vixal is a planet that exists in the Pleiades star cluster. And um, the leader of their planet is called Donatus. He was the head engineer, scientist, and uh, he designed robotics from the very beginning. In fact, their beginning was very similar to us. They automated production, sped up, and a lot of jobs were, of course, lost. But eventually, mm-hmm. they developed robotics so uh, fine-tunedly, so advanced, that they looked like human beings or Vixel people. And you couldn't tell the difference. In a dialogue with them, you could not tell the difference. The only way you could tell the difference is to um, break one open and look inside. So there's a fascinating story. This is almost science fiction in a way. In fact, some of our science fiction programs that you've seen uh, do illustrate some of the um, highlights or points of the story. Now, <clears throat> unbeknownst to Vixal, they had put so much of their consciousness into robotics and mechanization that they themselves, unbeknownst to them, became robotized or mechanicized. They put so much effort into this uh, robotic situation that to the outside observer, if you and I went to go and visit that planet, we would see a utopia. No disease, no um, disharmony whatsoever, no war. But there was a strange situation that um, they were dependent on robotics, and they had these electrodes that were called that um, grew up with the uh, family members of the Vixal household, and they became helpers. And uh, unbeknownst to the people on Vixal, they had cloned their own consciousness or mentality. So after Mm -hmm. a while... After a while, they became so mechanized that they uh, didn't uh, realize that they were headed for a a self-destructive path. So Uriel, Harry Ruth Norman, dialogued with Donatus, and you can read this dialogue in Tesla Speaks Volume 4, Part 1. Also, the planet Ballium is listed in the same volume, which Celeste will be talking about. So Vixal... Vixal had this incredible robotic technology, and their whole planet became mechanized. So um, unbeknownst to Donatus, um, there was a conspiracy going on. Unbeknownst to Donatus, well, on Vixal, they did not know that they were cloning a part of their subconscious. And they were giving away or transferring away to these robot machines their own life force, part of their own life force. So eventually, the robots outnumbered the humans, two-thirds to one-third. Wow. And because because of the knowledge of the psychology of spiritual consciousness, 
which Uriel explained to them, they did not know that they were giving away their own higher mentality. So, so the Vixal people, the Vixalites, said, you know what? We've now mechanized everything. There's hardly anything we have to do. This is great. Now I have time to contemplate the mysteries of the universe. All I have to do is snap my fingers or wave my hand for anything I want, a college education, to be notified of anything, to be given anything of a material nature. So what happened to their own individual effort, you see? So they, did, they gave away their own uh, spirituality, their own human consciousness to these machines, and um, when Uriel contacted Donatus and informed him that the machines were, in fact, getting ready to take over, this would have developed into a civil war between the Vixel, Vixelites and the robots or the electrodes. And it would not have come out to a good ending. And um, so, fortunately, Donatus had a higher self, a developed higher self, and he listened to Uriel. And they uh, cleverly figured out a way to turn off these electrodes and only turn them on when needed. And um, they, only, they, they manufactured only a small percentage of the robots after Uriel contacted them. And um, most of the metal and the exotic metals, uh, the robot metal, metal, metallurgy, Mm-hmm. were converted into um, beneficial machines or UFOs or flying saucers or spaceship vehicles to help the other planets who were in need of this technology, who had not developed this. So instead of thinking in ways of helping their fellow human beings who were um, working and struggling and trying to develop an intelligent lifestyle on their planet – they were they became self absorbed. So afterwards they developed this beautiful um exploration into other worlds where they went out with their UFOs or spaceships to help other planets in all ways. This is part of the interplanetary confederation, the spiritual unification of um all of these planets. So in our future the um, Milky Way galaxy will be um, have a part of this unity, this confederation. But what a lesson that we yes. can learn by looking and, and viewing and reading and studying what happened to this planet. And it shows how human concepts of uh, paradise fall short of the actual <laughs> paradise, which is spiritual and uh, that there is a danger in having all your wishes come true with a snap of fingers. Absolutely, absolutely. And the Vixal people learned the hard way that you, you've got to have some human effort. You know, I mean, there's menial tasks that can be done by robots, but um, there's so much that one can learn by delving and putting forth their own effort. In other words, the Vixalites became aware of their own higher self, their own connection to infinity or the Christ consciousness that everybody has within them. However, because of their over-mechanization, they let that part of their consciousness dwindle. You know, So they never mm-hmm. got to fan that inner flame, which is what Jesus told us to do 
is to uh, fan that inner spark, that Christ consciousness, and to let it grow, and it will guide us in our efforts. So the Vixalites learned over a period of time to do this, and they set out to help other planets. And the sto- we have many different volumes that go into exact detail about what happened on planet Vixal, and, af- and after they made the turnaround, what happened uh, on their exploration of various planets in the Milky Way galaxy. A lot of this hopefully will be made into a movie one day or multiple movies. That would yeah, be great for sure. because uh, Battlestar Galactica was re-envisioned and it uh, basically raised a lot of these same uh, questions. You know, at, at what point do you draw the line between human and uh, uh, machine and uh, are not humans already machines because uh, we were created by celestial uh, beings or guided by celestial beings. So Battlestar Galactica uh, really wrestled with uh, some of these questions. And uh, um, that's why I believe very strongly in the Unarian concept of uh, relivings and that these science fiction shows are in fact memories of times uh, gone by. And they're meant to have us ask these questions Mm -hmm. and look at them. Yeah. Let's talk about can, can that I for a moment. Um, can I interject, um, can I interject something, sure. David? Uh, yeah. Um, we, my husband and I, have been watching a new show called Star Trek Picard. And the whole premise oh. of the show is that the synthetics or the robots um, went bad and were killing off man. And so then in the whole galaxy, there were no more robots. And there was actually a scientist, it turns out, that being very advanced since they called them very human-like, you couldn't tell. And so that's what the whole premise is, uh, of the story is, trying to find the scientist and the other sense he's created. So it's already being portrayed, so <laughs> to speak, out there in science fiction, huh? That is awesome. I haven't seen Picard yet. I read the comic books or, or two of the three comic books, and I and I purchased the uh, the novelization um, that serves as introduction. But I haven't seen any of the shows yet. Now I want to see it even more. Yeah, it's so, it's a really good show, yeah. and they're bring, they're bringing in some of the continuity from uh, the old shows as well with characters, etc. So if you're a Star Trek fan, you'll really like it. Thank you. And, and David, you wanted to conclude with uh, Vixel before we go to Valium? Yes. Um, many of the scientists and engineers and technicians on planet Earth may have, uh, or people in general, may have a fear of robots taking over. And um, many people have lived in other worlds before. Many people have lived on Vixel before. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised if many of the engineers in our future planet Earth have lived on Vixal, and they're trying to um, rectify, um, correct a mistake they made that they were a part of. So um, sometimes fear and phobias of something is um, a remembrance of a previous life involvement. Thank you very much. Uh, David, that was awesome. And uh, I link to the Vixel page on the Interplanetary Confederation uh, website. So people who want to explore even more can just uh, click on that and they'll be taken uh, to a site where there's a lot of information and uh, 
Um, Unarius has a wide and extensive library uh, on these matters uh, as well. Um, Celeste, before we move on to Valium, is there anything you want to add to uh, uh, what was shared about Vixel? Well, just one thing, which is also a theme in a lot of science fiction uh, writing, movies, etc., is that when Uriel first uh, was trying to contact and talk to the planetary leader, his number one robot, which was a new development, even more uh, human-like in mentality, tried to fool her, and she finally figured out he was a robot. His name was Leno, and she kind of had to to get him to even let her talk to Donatus, the human. She kind of had to lie to him and make him think that she was going to do something to um, expand his humanness because the thing that they wanted was emotions. They didn't have that. And so that was part of the cleverness of to bring in all of these um, electrodes. And they actually called the humans helpers. Isn't that amazing? Uh, to bring in all these electrodes to take them apart because they had to be sneaky about it or they would mm -hmm. have, um, you know, caused a rebellion or whatever. And they told them that they were going to, uh, again, improve upon them or expand their capability to be more human-like. So that's how they got them to come in in the millions um, to disassemble them and take out the mechanisms that they could then use in the spaceships and other advanced electronic devices. Wow, that's deserving of a movie in and of itself or a science fiction <laughs> yeah, series. But hopefully we'll see that. Yeah. Onwards yeah. to Valium. <laughs> okay, well, Valium, uh, I think it was the 10th planet that Uriel contacted. And they were actually in the middle of a class in 1973 where she received this signal for help and it was really a dire circumstance. Um, she right away uh, found out from the individual that was coming through, and the conversation he had was very choppy, short sentences, very mechanical. He told her his whole life force was just min diminishing, and this machine was taking over his consciousness, and he had to do something to turn off the switch in this vast computer electronic um, panel and control panel and that he didn't have the strength um, to be able to do that. So right away through her higher consciousness, Uriel projected tremendous healing beam of energy and lifted him up mentally so he was able to turn off one switch that was close by him and he started to get some of his own mentality back and was talking more like he was a human than a machine. And then um, he didn't have the strength to stand up. He was sitting in a special mm -hmm. device. And so this is really amazing. Uriel actually projected herself psychically in an astral form to him with hands outreached to be able to lift him up and together they went and turned off the switch. And then she started asking him, how long have you been like this? How many others are like this? And he couldn't answer her questions. He didn't know. I have no way of knowing. I know there's others. I don't know how many. And so then uh, he was able to travel. They could travel underground. That was how they linked their cities in a tube 
and he was in a like cylinder device and he was able to go uh, to another location where there was even more of these controls and Uriel was still with him psychically and they were able to find the master switch and turn it off. And then he was able to mentally communicate. They had that development and I'll explain why in a minute with others who started turning off switches as well. So as it turns out, it turns out that they were all cyborgs. They were all in synthetic bodies that look very real. You couldn't really tell the difference unless you look for specific things. And they just Mm -hmm. had this spread of consciousness left where they believed when they first were put in these bodies that they could control the bodies because instead of it being mechanically controlled, they actually were using their mind, their consciousness to control these bodies. And they didn't have any of their senses. So it was like, you know, when you're blind and then all your other senses become more acute. Well, Uh in this sense, in some ways, they were actually using their um, higher mentality or their sixth sense in order to be able to motivate this body. But they really had cut themselves off, on the other hand, from their higher self and not recognizing their spiritual self. Uh, And they also had very developed um, robots that ran all the cities. Same thing that happened on Vixal. They got lazy and the machines could operate all these cities and they felt like they didn't need the humans anymore, so they were going to get rid of them. And Uriel contacted... um, Tall and volume just in time to prevent that from happening. So it's really fascinating why they got into this predicament in the first place because it had been a very um, beautiful evolved planet where they had space travel with other planets and they carried their experimentation too far. They were trying to get energy from their. Um, sun and they were bombarding it with rays and they didn't understand what they were doing. They didn't understand the interdimensional physics involved and those ray beams came back and bombarded their planet and it started destroying, of course, the physical bodies. So um, as an experiment, they developed um, this ability to be in a synthetic body, but there were 100 million people on the planet and only 2 million of them survived and could live in these synthetic bodies. Yeah, um, and part of that was because not everyone had the mental development to be able to use the Mm -hmm. mind in such a way to uh, motivate the mechanical body. But the beings that um, had to leave their body. They were taken to the healing wards on the inner planes, and the spiritual beings took them when they reincarnated to other planets they were more relative to to continue on in their evolution. So now what happens, because they're in a synthetic body, they can't regenerate uh, by normal procreation. So they consulted the lens, this very advanced um, crystalline as big as a planet reservoir of tremendous uh, knowledge energy uh, for help and the lens said well if you all decide to leave those bodies whether you go to another planet or decide to give them up and go over to the other side and incarnate back in normal bodies what very likely could happen is 
some lower astral force could, through uh, physical means, bring UFOs there and repopulate the planet and use it in a negative way. So we have this idea instead for you. So what they did is that to further the evolution of people that um, had perhaps passed over, but they needed to come back to uh, Mm -hmm. re-experience and learn the positive, they went out so to speak, and they recruited people that would be appropriate and that were on other planets to come live there that would have the mental development to live in their highly mechanized society and also to have more of a spiritual development to abide by their code of ethics to ensure something like this couldn't happen again. So they're repopulating their planet and they had been in those synthetic bodies for 500 years um, somewhat waiting for the cycle when they could be helped but they will ensure that um, as the planet's repopulated that people that are coming there and learning and then as they start to procreate naturally and grow their population that planet is on a good path before they would leave those synthetic bodies to make sure they understand that the true important thing is to develop your mind for that higher spiritual consciousness and hookup to have that inflow um, come through versus rely on mechanical robots or mechanized means. So quite an amazing story, huh? Oh yes, definitely. And uh, the 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 tale of Valium and the Vixel is a mirror uh, that we should we would do well to look in very carefully to learn the lessons that uh, uh, are contained in the accounts of what happened because uh, we're going down that uh, path now and uh, we don't want to have to go through extreme uh, uh, experiences like those that happened on Vixel or, or Valium. To, uh, to move past that uh, phase. So it's very good that we have these stories to um, educate and inform us and uh, help us make better decisions. And someday when we're all open enough that they can physically contact us and then come here, there'll be representatives from Valium and Bixel that come here then that can work directly with their counterparts, scientists, uh, engineers, Etc. to help them to understand how we could use um, artificial intelligence and robots and robotics in a positive way, because that is still part of our future. Um, very interesting in the little book called um, Tesla Speaks Volume 6, Crystal Mountain Cities, that talks about the intermediary spiritual worlds are developed for uh, humanity to uh, essentially go to school and learn in between lifetimes, they talk about how robots are a part of the galaxy and that that's part of our spiritual progression to learn to use them and live with them positively. And it's a step in developing our higher minds to use psychokinesis uh, with the machines and then eventually to realize you don't need machines and that to live on the other side of life free of a physical body, you would totally use psychokinesis, which another one of the planets is evolved to that, planet Shunan. They don't have any kind of mechanical devices. They do everything through the mind, the higher mind, even though they're still 
in a more evolved, but they're still in the physical body. I put links so I to that all was of fascinating. Go ahead. I thought that was fascinating. Instead of thinking of, gee, maybe we should just avoid this, that this is really part of our evolution to learn um, how to live with these advanced um, machines, robots, and not become dependent on them to understand they'll never have that spiritual connection that we do and um, to understand the principles by which the machines operate, but also by which we function mentally that gives us the superiority that the machine will never have. That is a very good uh, point. Uh, thank you, Celeste. That, that was incredibly awesome. David, do you have anything to uh, add to the account of uh, Ballium? Well, <clears throat> it's like Celeste said. Um, it's very easy for an advanced society who has not developed their higher part of their mind, their superconsciousness, to become overly whelmed, overly in, uh, enthralled with mechanization and technology. Within our own higher consciousness, the superconsciousness is a wonderful technology. Jesus demonstrated it. Uriel demonstrated it. Buddha demonstrated it. Einstein demonstrated it partly. Nikola Tesla demonstrated it um, incredibly. And that's what we need to remember. Most of all, we have this inner spiritual connection to the infinite intelligence, to the universal mind. And that's what we need to develop. That's the number one thing that we never want to lose sight of. And we can learn by studying Vixal and Ballium how they lost sight of that. And they are now relearning how to connect back to that inner self. And this is the most important thing that Unarius teaches is how to work with that spiritual consciousness, how to work with your inner mind, how to cultivate it, how to grow it. And most of the earth people haven't been taught how to do that. So they need a lot of instruction about how to do that. And this is why Unarius is here. And we have in front of us the Aquarian age, the new age of spiritual renaissance that will teach us how to remember those inner lessons, that inner self, that spiritual identity. And all of us need to remember that when we lose this physical life, so-called death, we're just going into another dimension. And the life on the inner worlds is probably the most important because in that state, you can learn in a few moments or hours a lot of what um, you need to reincarnate and remember. So on the inner worlds of light, the spiritual light, is where people cultivate their, uh, their spiritual identity. In fact, most Unarians, when they go to sleep at night, they're taught on the inner classrooms and the inner worlds. Mm -hmm. this, is the yeah. part, this is the part that humans need to be aware of. They have this incredible connection to infinite intelligence, the God self or the universal mind that people call God, and they just need to learn how to use it. I and think first they need to learn that they even ahead. have it, right? Yeah. yeah. Very, very, very um, true. Exactly. I, I think a lot of people may not even realize they think they're just the physical body, and they don't even realize that there's this whole counterpart of themselves, the spiritual self, the higher mind, um, 
you know, that was something I wasn't really concretely aware of before I came to Unirius and uh, have certainly learned that, have had, after many years of being student, proof of how that mind can open up and start to function as I've worked through, you know, different past life trauma and uh, develop more of an opening to receive information through my um, superconscious self or my higher self. And it's really a wonderful thing, but I know I only have a little opening <laughs> that there's far more uh, to develop there. And Unarius is very generous in uh, uh, making this information accessible. And uh, uh, Unarius has never forced a particular path on anyone that I know of, but it has all this information and all this contact um, that's there for people who would like to uh, um, take advantage of it. So how would somebody get involved with Unarius? Well, let me give you the website. It would be um, unarius.org. That would be U-N-A-R-I-U-S dot O-R-G. And uh, Celeste, you can give them the toll-free number. Um, We can. People don't normally call, but it's 800-475-7062. Or you can email us. Uh, Uriel, U-R-I-E-L, at Unarius.org. Also, we were talking about the Interplanetary Confederation. There's a whole separate website with that, fullname.com, and there's a synopsis about where each one of these 32 worlds were when they were first contacted, an overview of the whole uh, confederation, more information about the lens, our positive future. And then what's great, all of those contacts that mentally happened uh, have been transcribed into book form, but we still have those contacts available to listen to. And we've taken maybe five to seven minutes of a really interesting part of a contact Uriel was having with each one of these uh, advanced beings on these other 32 worlds, and you can listen to it um, with a link on this website, which is a wonderful thing to do. I so, have uh, Hercules. In the link. Yes. Let me um, add that I, um, on Vixal, they have okay. become the most advanced scientific planet of the Interplanetary Confederation, meaning the other 32 other worlds. Planet Earth hasn't joined yet, but it will in the future. So um, you can read about their uh, a huge auditorium where they have these people, these representatives from uh, the 32 other worlds, and they meet sometimes on Vixal, and they have um, um, confederations. They have meetings, and they dialogue, and they discuss uh, how they can be a help. And they have, like I said, I mentioned earlier that they have developed – a project, a mission to go out and touch other worlds that don't have this understanding. And there's a a book called Exploring the Universe with Starship Voyager that goes into detail about their encounters via spaceship um, with other planets that are not part of the 32 other worlds but have gone through incredible difficulties because they have omitted this understanding of the higher self, their superconsciousness from their life, from their lifestyle, from their technologies. 
thank you so very much uh, to both of you and to the Inarius Academy of uh, Science. Um, I put links on uh, the thread for uh, tonight's show uh, to the Unarius Facebook page, uh, to both of your Facebook pages, uh, to the Unarius.org website, uh, to the Interplanetary Confederation uh, website, and uh, also direct links to Vixol, Ballium, Uriel in the Lens, and Shunan, because Shunan was uh, mentioned. Uh, for those who wish to explore uh, further past tonight's podcast. Is there anything else you feel I should uh, add to those links? And that's fantastic. Thank you. Okay, David, anything you could add? Um, Well, we have a very, very positive future for planet earth like i said we are headed into yeah. a new age the Aquarian age we're only at the beginning stages of that we're going to have so much incredible technology that i help um, with our future development in fact um, the dependence on fossil fuels right now is kind of like polluting our world and um, also in uh, nuclear power generating stations and Nikola Tesla advanced something that was completely working in harmony with nature. And that is to build a tower, a power tower that existed um, in Atlantis that powered the whole continent of Atlantis. So we're going to have that in our future. We're going to have all kinds of incredible positive technologies because planet earth will be taught how to properly positively, progressively use our technology. And that's an excellent place to end tonight's show because uh, the the promise of a positive and progressive future for humanity is one of the things I love most about Unarius. Thank you once again. Um, I look forward to our next conversation. Thank you. Okay, thank you, Hercules. Bye-bye. Thank you, Celeste. Thanks for listening to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network. Join us seven nights a week for exciting programming covering a variety of expressions of faith. And remember, all manifestations of the divine are equally valid.